One of the things that really grinds my gears is for some reason that is still unknown to me. Whenever there is a gathering of Christian leaders around the nation, or if there's a national tragedy, there are those who claim the title of disciple of Jesus Christ, who feel the need to spew hate and to misquote the Bible to make their point at that particular moment in time. Last February, when I was in St. Louis for this special called General Conference of the United Methodist Church, every day, every gosh darn day when I walked from the parking lot to the decommissioned NFL arena, and then from the decommissioned NFL arena back to our car, I had to walk by the Westboro Baptist Church. The Westboro Baptist Church felt the need to tell the delegates, the press, and those who were in St. Louis as observers that God hates fill in the blank. God hates you, they said to me, because they assumed from my hipster haircut and perfectly trimmed beard that I did not agree with the vomit they were spewing onto the streets of St. Louis. And I hate to tell you this, but that was not my first run-in with the Westboro Baptist Church. But it is the most personal interaction I've had with the group. While serving a church in Alexandria, the Westboro Baptist Church felt it necessary to send the church hate mail. And no, the Westboro Baptist Church had not caught up to using email. These were sent through the U.S. Postal Service. And these letters were so explicit that I'm not able to share them with you from the pulpit. But why the hate mail to another church, to another group of people who are disciples of the same Jesus Christ? Well, the church that I served over in Alexandria, we had a neighboring mosque that needed a space to do their Friday prayers. And so we let this mosque use our ever-holy youth group area for their Friday prayers. This hatred spewed by Christians in the name of God is not limited to church politics or Islamophobia. After the 2016 Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando, Florida, two preachers, and I'm going to use air quotes here, because what they preached was so hate-filled claiming that God was happy that 49 people lost their lives. These preachers felt as though they could honestly stand before their congregations and the world, thanks to YouTube, during a worship service, and claim that somehow God was happy. God was thrilled that 49 innocent people were brutally killed. This kind of preaching is sadly not uncommon. And thanks to the internet, there's much more out there. And it doesn't take much of a Google search to find video after video of preachers claiming God hates, God rejoices in the face of death. Or even worse, God is punishing us, punishing victims because the victims do not fit into a political agenda. These preachers honestly believe 
that when they are done, what they have said is, quote, the word of God for the people of God. But I know none of you and most of the people that you interact with on a daily basis could bring yourself to proclaim thanks be to God after watching those videos or sitting through one of those sermons. The problem, though, is that in many cases, what those vile spewing preachers know better than many is that what they are spewing is the word of God. It's the word of God with a lowercase w. Almost 2,000 years removed from the resurrection of Christ, we today do not know what to do with the parts of the Old Testament people like the Westboro Baptist Church proclaim as the word of God. We know technically it's the lowercase w word of God, but aside from casting these groups of people off as not speaking for the church or not speaking for the Christ that we know and we follow, we do very little. The problem is that during Jesus' day, what the Westboro Baptist Church and those like them are preaching today, 2,000 years ago it was the law. There's no getting around it. Death, the ultimate punishment, was a common deterrent used to keep order within the community, and it was the biblical way to deal with those who did not conform to the law that organized the community. Lawyers and rabbis during Jesus' day knew this. They also knew that if they themselves did not follow the law, they would be subjected to the same punishments that they were prescribing for those who were living in their communities. A rabbi during Jesus' day wouldn't have been able to read any of the texts that we struggle with today and finish by saying the word of God for the people of God, thanks be to God, without hesitation. Last week, from our reading in Luke's gospel, the parable of the Good Samaritan, we found Christ being confronted by a lawyer. And I know because the majority of you are lawyers, it's the favorite Bible verse of this congregation. The lawyer was testing Jesus to see if this rabbi knew the law. And thus was this rebel rabbi able to teach the law in a satisfactory way. But we find time and time again throughout Christ's ministry that when Jesus was presented with an opportunity to follow the law along with the associated punishment that Jesus would choose differently. It's easy to think in our minds that the Bible says it and that settles it, but even a rabbi like Christ re-examined the law. When a woman was caught in the act of adultery and she was brought before Jesus, adultery, a crime punishable by being stoned to death, Jesus calmly invited her accusers who were without sin to cast the first stone. Working on the Sabbath was and still is today prohibited by the fourth commandment. But Jesus found himself saying after healing a man, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? It was believed during Christ's day that the sins of a parent would be repaid to the following 
generations that can be found in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. Yet, when Jesus was presented with this question, he said otherwise, saying to a man who was born blind that God would never punish him for his parents' sins. Jesus lived in an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth world, but Christ did not raise a sword in his own defense when he was being arrested, telling his disciples, put your swords back where they belong, for all who draw their sword will die by the sword. All of this together becomes problematic for us today because we don't have Christ physically walking around telling us to drop stones or to put our swords away. So what then are we to do with the Bible, the Word of God? Because the Bible is often called infallible, inerrant, or inspired. You'll notice throughout the sanctuary that we find ourselves in ordinary time. The post-Pentecost green that you see signifies that we are now in the mundane and unremarkable season of the Christian calendar. Paul opened his letter that David read for us to the Colossians by quoting an early Christian hymn. And the words chosen by Paul are anything but mundane and unremarkable. Jesus is the image of God. Jesus is the one in whom all things hold together. Jesus is the one in whom the fullness of God dwells. The fullness of God was revealed to all of creation through Jesus Christ. What Paul is writing here to the Colossians is the same thing the Apostle John dared to write in his gospel. Scripture was given to Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one, no one has ever seen God. God, the only Son, who is at the Father's side, has made God known. And then, a few books later in our New Testament, John doubles down in his first letter. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another as Christ loved, then God is seen in us. Jesus is the fulfillment, Paul writes, continuing what John wrote about at the beginning of his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And without him, not one thing came into being. Before the incarnation, before we had sweet baby Jesus lying in a manger in Bethlehem, no one had ever seen God. Moses experienced the awesomeness of God in the burning bush, but Moses did not experience the fullness of God. Daniel felt the protective presence of God in the lion's den. But even through that protective presence, God was not fully revealed. David, the anointed king of Israel, felt the presence of God through prayer and petition. But God did not fully reveal God's self to the psalmist. So in Christ, we have humanity's first full encounter with the fullness of God, the fullness of God becoming a physical reality in our world. Jesus is the capital W word of God taking on human flesh. Every Old Testament prophecy points towards Jesus, 
as the fulfillment of the lowercase words on the pages. Jesus is the fullness of what God has to say to us. Jesus is the fullness of God made visible. Author and pastor Brian Zahn likes to say that because Jesus is the fullness of God made visible, God is then like Jesus. Meaning that God has always been like Jesus and there's not, there's not been a time in human history, not a time throughout creation when that was not true. The prophets of the Old Testament caught a glimpse of God, but through the incarnation, we have today the fullness of God revealed to us in Jesus Christ. And as my buddy Trip Fuller likes to say, simply put, God then is as nice as Jesus, because Jesus is the fullness of God revealed. We are a people people who have chosen because Christ has done such great things and revealed the fullness of God to us, we have chosen to commit our lives to him. We have committed ourselves to the hard work of having faith in a man who acted with compassion and mercy when presented with the opportunity to implement the harshness of the law. Compassion and mercy require more work Compassion and mercy require more investment in one another than the harshness of the law. After run-ins with the Westboro Baptist Church or people like them, it can be difficult to know what to say or what to do in response. It's difficult to wrap our heads around the harshness of the words on their signs and the harshness of the personal attacks they are making, especially in comparison to the compassion and mercy of Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us that Jesus is the capital W word of God, the fullness of God's image that is otherwise invisible to creation. Jesus is the full revelation of God when we otherwise rely on those who caught a glimpse of the infinite wonder of God. That's our response. That's our response to fraudulent preachers and Christians making bold claims about the one who showed extravagant mercy and compassion. Jesus Christ is the word of God, speaking to us and holding us and all of creation together. And we cannot speak anything of God that we can imagine Jesus saying. Thanks be to God. Amen.